This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to Soundbites, our weekly look at food, agriculture, and our future right here on The Mark Steiner Show. Produced out of your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community in Baltimore, and broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSDL 90.7 FM on the Eastern Shore. In the second part of the program, we meet Chef A, a local chef who teaches young people and vets about cooking. But first, we're speaking about a youth urban agricultural initiative taking place at Frederick Douglass High School on the west side of town on Gwynn Falls Parkway, right where the uprising began. We're joined by Amanda Briotti, biology teacher at Frederick Douglass High School, Abby Cock, environmental planner at the Maryland City Office of Sustainability, and Allison Boyd, director of the Farm Alliance of Baltimore. So let's begin. So what, what is the genesis of this? Who wants to do genesis? Are you genesis, Amanda? I guess I'm genesis, yeah. So <laughs> I feel like there were many genesis points um, to this project at Douglas, many different organizations reached out to me, one being the USDA and also the Maryland Department of Agriculture. So I wrote a grant through the USDA to establish six raised beds. Um, and simultaneously, I've been working with the Maryland Department of Agriculture to get hoop houses donated so that we really have a operation going on. Um, and then we're also working with other members of the community and the school system to establish a program at Douglas. So we're not just creating a farm, but we're creating the supports that the students need to learn how to farm and to hopefully be exposed to um, job, future job opportunities that they could have. So it all started, it really honestly all started after the riots um, and people started wanting to give back and reach out and change what was going on in the neighborhood. Um, and so after, really in May of 2015, we started getting contacted by all these people um, and then started doing the work. So the question is, I mean, why did you, where did the idea of a farm come from or this kind of program at Douglas? I mean, um, it's not Hereford High. <laughs> no joking. <laughs> yeah. I'm joking just because Hereford High is a Baltimore County school that actually has an ag program right. that's in the middle of farmland. But so, so talk a bit about where did this come from? So... I feel like I need I need to add one more thing on. Sure. So as this is all taking place, I also adopted a vacant lot right down the street from Douglas because a bunch of teachers and students, we wanted to do something positive amidst all the negativity that was going on. So we started converting our vacant lot into a community garden, and that kind of fueled back into the ideas we were working with for the school. We wanted to... There's no other ag programs in the area, in the like area of the city for students to be involved in. And that's kind of a restriction when it comes to developing programs is if there's a nursing program at a school nearby, you can't establish a nursing program at your school. So you huh. can't be too um, adjacent to another program. So having an ag program would make us unique and it would provide students that are already at our school and students elsewhere to have a reason to come to school. That was one of the big things our principal, Mr. Bridgers, was pushing was a lot of students just go to school and they need to have a reason to go to school and providing an additional program like agriculture. We already have a few others. We have JROTC and we have a recording arts media production program. I heard about that. Yeah. yeah. So this would provide a different outlet for students to engage in other than what we already have and other what other schools have to offer. So I mean, to me, it's also interesting just because Douglas, 
the way the media portrays that list is a very different way, yeah. right? Not about the kind of things that are going on inside like this. And, and I think that's important to kind of have that kind of stuff happen. So, but, but, so where did it start? I and mean, where did it start for you or whoever was around you to want to start this farming program? How did that come about? And what was... I honestly don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it all just happened. There was just, there were so many people contacting me and I was feeding off their enthusiasm and they were telling me that they're feeding off my enthusiasm and things just started rolling. Um, and I, I think I got contacted because I teach science and I'm the science department head. Because you're not a farmer. I'm not a farmer, no, <laughs> far from it. I'm learning a lot every day and like emailing people, what should, how many times should I water this? Like what is, how do you set up this tube? Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, so a lot of this is new territory for I think everyone in our building, um, even like our maintenance guys are like, we need to turn that water on or go get this pipe. Like <laughs> there's a lot going on that's new. Um, so yeah, I don't really know whose idea it was. But it's just well, started it happening. So, so what, what does the city have to do with this and, 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 and the, and the farmer lines? So, so how do you all get into the midst of this project? Yeah, so from the city government side, um, we have a sustainability plan. The Baltimore Sustainability Plan is adopted right. in 2009. One of the 29 major goals for the city is to establish Baltimore as a leader in healthy, sustainable food systems. One of the strategies under that is to increase the percentage of land under cultivation for urban agriculture. So since about 2011, uh, we've actively been trying to support people who are growing food in the city. We put out an ag plan for the city in 2013. We've been leasing land to urban farmers, trying to create policies that are more uh, supportive and conducive to farming. We put out a soil safety policy. Uh, we passed a tax credit last year for urban farms. Um, and then on the school side, uh, we have a goal in the plan to turn every school in Baltimore City into a green school. And our standard for that is the Maryland Association for Environmental and Outdoor Education's Maryland Green Schools Program. Um, so we just uh, got six new Maryland Green Schools the other week. They were just announced uh, for the year, and we'd love to get Frederick Douglass into that and doing things outdoors with kids that are connecting them to the natural world and to the food system uh, is a huge step towards making that happen. So we have a small grant program that we run um, in partnership with the Baltimore Community Foundation and with city schools called the Green Healthy Smart Challenge uh, that offers grants of between $1,000 and $2,500 to support projects like this one. So I, I very much look forward to working with you guys in the future at Frederick Douglass. Hmm. And the yeah. Farmers of Baltimore are here, the Farm Alliance, right? Yeah, so the Farm Alliance actually uh, has not been involved with this project yet, uh, but we would love to become involved um, and figure out ways that uh, that we can support what you're doing at Frederick Douglass, absolutely. So, I mean, all of our farms in the Alliance right now, we have 14 members spread throughout the city. And in addition to focusing on production, um, all of our farms also have a social mission and work either formally or informally around agriculture, agricultural education. And it's a really, it's a, like top priority for us to build and grow the next generation of farmers. So we're just really excited to see uh, the USDA's uh, increased attention on Baltimore. And we're glad that they're focusing on, um, you know, on providing opportunities for beginning farmers. 
and we hope that we can be part of that pipeline. You know, that's that's really the ultimate goal for us um, is to help create farms and then and farmers, and then once they're up and running, um, to provide markets to to sell their produce. So. Um, you know, sm- it's tough being a small-scale farmer anywhere, um, but particularly in the city. So we're working on building that infrastructure. So I'm really interested in the in, in the how the kids have turned in this project. Uh, you know, turning the earth and getting into it, and what what they've come to. I mean, there's a there's a, there's a number of students who who went out to the city farm. Yeah, Great Kids Farm. It's the city school's farm. So that was a field trip we planned to kind of gauge our students' interest. We took about 30 kids out there, and they got to plant the spring crops at that farm. And we were kind of like scoping them out and seeing which kids were the most engaged and were enjoying it the most, and then which kids wouldn't stop talking about it for the next few weeks. And that was the group of kids that I recruited to be my my garden team for this new project that we have. So they last week, at the beginning of last week, um, built the beds. They learned how to use drills, hammers. I think one kid used a rock as a hammer because we didn't have enough hammers. And they actually built the the structures, filled them up, mixed the soil together. Um, and they had such a great time, I think. And I think one of the important things is that they're just normal kids. They're not like our star kids that we picked because the Secretary of Agriculture was coming. They're just normal <laughs> kids who like love doing it and they loved being hands-on and they were still learning new things and having new experiences. Um, and a lot of them, there's so many different ways to learn. And for a lot of the kids that are in this group, this is the way that they learn, like doing things. And so they kind of transformed from how they are in the classroom to how they were outside with us was like a different experience for them. And they saw that they could be successful at something. And um, they already are like, oh, look, my leaf is bigger. Like they're they're taking care and like noticing they have ownership. So since planting is in the spring, what happens over the summer? So that is that is a work in progress right now with my principal trying to figure out what is going to happen over the summer. Um, because because groups like uh, just popped, not to, not to jump in, just think what popped in my head was when you have groups like Civic Works that give kids jobs in the summer, couldn't they kind of sponsor the kids' salaries and have them work over summer? On that's the farm? like that's like kind that. of what I'm I'm hoping for. So there is the Youth Works program through the mayor's office, um, but the deadline to sign up has passed. Um, we do have a bunch of kids who will be working at the school over the summer, but it won't be. I don't think the kids that are on our garden team. It'll, but we'll have kids that we could employ to work the farm. I was just hoping it could be the kids that were the There's, garden team. But we'll, I don't know. I need to reach out to more people and see what. So, how many kids you have? How many kids have to be employed for the summer? Would you have to have? Um, uh, well, how many in your garden team? There's about fifteen. Um, and we have another 15 who are interested. But there were 15 that were helping out that first day. So somewhere between 7 and 15 kids you'd like to get employed this summer. Yeah. I'm just putting that out there because I think people <laughs> listen to this broadcast and think about, I mean, where who might sponsor something like that to get to keep these kids in the land for the summer. And because paying their salaries is not that deep. How, do you know how that works for the city, Abby? I know that people can donate to the Youth Works program to sponsor students. Um, if those students are not signed up for YouthWorks, the deadline for that, you're correct, has passed. So you might have to 
go through a different program. Um, Civic Works is not a bad suggestion. I'm sure there's another way to make it work. Um, and then get them into the program officially for next year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because it just seemed to me there might be somebody out there who would do that to keep these, to keep your core together, keep them rolling for the summer, because that's really an important part of the whole farming process is not just planting but and the harvesting in the fall, but actually tending those things over summer, right? Right. <laughs> yeah, They're going to miss really all critical. the fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I don't want them to lose steam. You know, I want them to keep building up the steam that we, we have from all the craziness of last week. Um, so, yeah, I have a lot of thinking and reaching out to do in the next few days to figure out what's next. Because it seems to me this, 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 the project itself has a huge amount of potential here to, for the city. I mean, what could be, I mean, besides the arcane rules about because Douglas has it, you couldn't have it at Northwestern or whatever. <laughs> but but that they can have to change all that. But, I mean, so, but I mean this, this idea that, that young people can actually move into farming agriculture and thinking about a way of life and making a living and and having because they're taking off one did I read right that they were they were going to take a class a day well that's what we're farm, hoping right? we're working on our schedule for next year um, which you know has to be approved by many different people but the plan is that one of their classes during the day is an elective and that elective is like being a farmer for an hour every day um, learning and not just not just taking care of the plants and doing all the daily tasks but like having experts come in and teaching them about the soil science or ways to provide nutrients or different techniques and strategies that a farmer would need to know like like Allison was mentioning yeah and I think it's really important to you to remember that <clears throat> there's so many opportunities for jobs in the food system um, even outside of farming you know and I think that um, even just spurring the interest of students in food um, and learning about you know where it comes from and how it's produced and all the ways in which it gets to the end consumer it just opens up a lot of possibilities you know and I think every engaged person that we can have working anywhere in the food system is going to be a real benefit for our city. So I'm, I'm just curious how, um, what we really know about urban agriculture and how it can really be an incubator, a job growth sector, a place that really works rather than, you know, I mean, I, I, there are a number of things going on that, you know, the, the, the Heber Brown's got his food security church network, church food security network started in different churches growing food. You've got Elder Harris in, in, in Sandtown and other people doing things, the Blues with their incredible farm in Northeast Baltimore. Uh, but, so what, but what about as an economic engine, as something to kind of change the nature and face of a city and what might, might these 15 students might actually take advantage of? So I would say that we know that it works as mm-hmm. a nonprofit model or as an educational focus model. So we've seen those types of projects succeed. Uh, Real Food Farm, for example, has uh, been around since 2009, going strong, employing lots of people working on their farm. Your question, can it work uh, in a for-profit sense? Um, Can we really build jobs and economy off of this? And there are certainly people who think so and who are pushing towards that. Um, I think it needs to be more intensive to make that work. So having, um, you know, raised beds is not going to cut it. You've got to get 
some infrastructure in place, get hoop houses so you can grow year-round, grow crops that you can harvest more continuously. So be very intentional about it. Um, but uh, I might let Allison speak to how her members are doing in terms of making money. But there are people who believe that they can make it work, and we believe that we can make it work. Do you have any input on that? Yeah, so I think that's one of the number one questions that I get, um, you know, is, is urban agriculture actually creating jobs? And um, my response is usually, uh, well, you know, I'm kind of like a, a big picture person or a context person. So, like, for me, I think about the agricultural industry and, you know, the country as a whole. And so I like to, you know, just sort of point out the fact that agriculture everywhere is tough, right? Like a lot of rural mm -hmm. farmers uh, still have off-farm jobs, second jobs, or maybe their spouse or partner has an off-farm job. And uh, just in general, you know, the the whole agricultural economy is, is sort of struggling in, in many ways. Um, and that's not to be negative, because um, I think there's so much going on that's that's really positive, particularly, you know, around innovation, um, you know, use of technology, things like that. I think it's just forcing us to get more creative in how we're approaching agriculture. Um, but I do think that's important context, you know, like very few people are making like a great living <laughs> off of agriculture. Um, so I, I think... Um, even like, and to me, I think in Baltimore, part of the important question is like, who are we trying to employ um, and who are resources being made available to? So for somebody who, you know, has very limited resources and no job at all, even a supplemental income is very helpful. Um, and when you think about the many benefits of urban agriculture, um, many of them are sort of qualitative and hard to put a price tag on. Um, or a real value on, but the ways in which, you know, it can really enrich someone's life um, in a community, I think are very priceless. But it sounds like I evaded the question. I mean, I think, <laughs> I think um, urban agriculture can create jobs. We just have to be really creative about how we do it. And, you know, a lot of our farms do rely on AmeriCorps um, members as, you know, a significant portion of their labor force. I think it's a great program. It's an important job training program. Um, but I personally don't know that it's, you know, completely sustainable um, through, the, you know, into the future. So we're, we're looking at different ways to, to figure out and, you know, employing young people or people in general in creative ways. Yeah, I can say from the city perspective that we look at agriculture as something that's at the nexus of a bunch of different benefits and employment is one. But uh, connecting people more to their environment and to their community uh, using in positive ways land that's sitting not just unused but actually creating a negative effect on the neighborhoods uh, now, um, creating more healthy food that hasn't traveled you know across the world to get to us, um, and employing people and giving them job training, uh, giving kids something that they care about, and hopefully. Uh, in some cases, long-term jobs in the field are all goals. So I just want to put that out there, that it's not just about, you know, will every kid who goes through this program be able to have a full-time job in Baltimore City as an urban farmer? No, no, I've seen a couple of different things here. I mean, one is to me that I think when you think about things in an alternative way, urban agriculture can work, and I think it's because nobody's ever cracked a nut the right way. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, 
it's just like the when people say there's unemployment in different neighborhoods in the city, nobody thinks about the, what a workers' co-op could do mm. to employ hundreds of people that actually own the company themselves and make a decent living together in whatever enterprise that is. The same thing can be with urban farming, connected selling to restaurants, can farmers markets, and you look at what Park Heights is doing with their CSA. That's a CSA that's that's made affordable to regular working people in lower park heights and they as opposed to CSAs always whether from middle class and wealthy people so there's all kinds of ways to kind of to do this and you know, I remember I taught the years I taught at school for the arts I've always started my year off with my students saying that 90% of you will not be actors mm. uh, mm-hmm. but the training you get here is the training that opens the doors for a lifetime of other things which is another piece of what that does, right? Right. Yeah. So that reminds me one of our one of our organizations we're working with the Maryland Nursery Landscape Greenhouse Association MNLGA. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, one of their their president Brent, he was like, "I'm old. I'm one of the younger ones." But I'm going to like need somebody to replace me. Like thinking about it's not just it's not just that we're in an urban area and we're creating this farm or this garden and that we need to have employees of this, but we're providing exposure to other types of jobs that are out there other than the ones that you right. know immediately. So there's so many, just exposing the students to all the different options there are out there besides what they already know, which sometimes is really limited. No, I mean, it, it, it's not because pe- young people who learn what they're learning at Douglas right now, I mean, there are jobs in landscape and gardening. Right. Sure. People yeah. make a livelihood of that. Right. And in culinary arts. Culinary yeah. arts. People and learning how to lay pipe mm-hmm. and make pipe and do irrigation and right. leading to plumbing and the mathematics mm-hmm. that's involved and all the rest. I mean, it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's a, I think, a really, besides getting in touch with the earth. <laughs> Marketing and sales, too, mm-hmm. right? Uh, figuring out what would make sense to plant and what's right. going to sell and how to get it to people and the distribution. Yeah. Yeah, these are all ideas that have been floating around in my head as next steps after, like, after it grows, what's next? <laughs> no, no, right, right, right. So to the kids in this program, are, the, are, are what year are they in? Are they mostly... They're ninth graders. So we, They're all ninth graders. Yeah, we, we strategically... Uh. Pi- exactly. We, <laughs> we made sure they were all ninth graders so that we can stick with them and they can stick with us for the next four years and hopefully get to eat some of the fruit from the fruit trees. <laughs> So, yeah, that's why you would like to try to figure out the continuity over the summer, if you could, at least for some of them, right. core of them. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah, I, I slightly hesitate to say this because I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm making any promises on their behalf, but <laughs> the Baltimore Community Foundation has been oh, yeah. such a wonderful partner to us in terms of um, accepting funds and then getting them out the door to the people who need them uh, and... Um, we've employed my office three student interns this year to sort of build student environmental advocacy in Baltimore. So if we can do that, you know, I don't see why they couldn't or another nonprofit couldn't mm-hmm. help keep those kids employed over the summer right. if we can line up funds for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is that kind of stuff is really important. Yeah. And I also have a doc. You've got that. That, that that TV, radio crew, film crew at Douglas, they could document the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Really. New documentary. <laughs> you know? I mean, because I think this the kind of stuff is important. But I say it's important, but how important do you think it really is? How, how Some people might hear this and go, well, what, is this just a, a waste of time having kids from Douglas put their hands in the earth and grow vegetables? Well, if I may, uh, you, you... I'm not saying I think that. I'm just saying... No, yeah, you, yeah. <laughs> so you used the Baltimore School for the Arts example, right? Yeah. 
Um, and I went to a magnet high school uh, for the arts. And before that, uh, I had gone to my local public school to Woodlawn High, and I was able to transfer to Carver you Center in Towson. Yeah, another great school. And um, I got so I got to see firsthand the enormous <laughs> difference between kids who go to school because they have to, and kids who go to school because there's something that even if they hate everything else that they love, that they get to do once a day or multiple times a week that makes it worth their while. And just the change in attitude uh, and willingness to try in your other classes so that you are able to continue to do the thing you love is huge. So does it make a difference um, in the life of an individual kid who finds a passion in it? It makes all the difference in the world. And if that's seven to 15 kids in a school of several hundred kids, well, it makes a huge difference for them. And they can grow a lot of food to make a difference for other kids as well in terms of right. eating healthy local food that they might have not have had so much of before. That is, I mean, you said that beautifully. You just took it right out of my own head. Um, and I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think another, another thing that can make a difference too is with the kids that are involved, a lot of them don't know where their food came from. Like if they see a tomato, they're not going to know what to do with it. And so it's going to make a difference in their their future and the nutrition of themselves in the future and their families in the future to not just go to the store and get things in a box and in a can, but to like have that awareness of where your food came from and then how to use it. Big, right. big steps. And, and no matter what a young person does, I mean, you can be a doctor or a nurse or a sanitation worker or a carpenter and have your and grow your own food. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. that's all a piece of this as well. Yeah. yeah. And we didn't touch on cooking as a whole another realm related to jobs in this field. Mm -hmm. um, but that's huge, of course. Yeah. Yes. Bombolan was becoming a culinary city. <laughs> it's really strange for someone who grew up here. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy it. <laughs> I do too. It's just very strange to realize that yeah. the, the Baltimore is now this place where, where people actually uh, can go to good restaurants. <laughs> Never existed before. So talk about the talk about about the kids in this program. I know we're gonna be taking a trip over to Douglas to meet the kids and do do a taping with the with the garden and, and with the kids. We're looking forward to that. Uh, put it here on sound bites in the Mark Steiner show over the next couple of weeks. But so tell us a bit about the kids. So like I said before, the kids they're all ninth graders, and we actually have a a few eleventh graders who who joined us for the planting because they were involved in my community garden down the street from the school so I invited them to also participate so they could because they love they came out on weekends and helped me with our little garden so I was like come do this with the school um, so but our main group is ninth graders they um, they're currently taking environmental science so they've been learning a lot about the environment water land air pollution a lot of the kind of pieces that go into play for for needing what you would need to know to farm. They have kind of like the basics down. Um, so, yeah, I don't know the kids as well as their ninth grade teacher does because I teach 10th grade. But from my whole day experience with them planting, the next day, like, they were hugging me. They were, are we going outside today? And it was pouring rain. I was, they quoted me on that in the article. I'm like, I it made me sound right. so negative, but it was really <laughs> raining. <laughs> like, that's what you chose. <laughs> but, yeah, they're a good group. And there's this one girl who I love so much. Her name's Nikira, And she came to 
Um, well, she came to Douglas as a ninth grader, but she went to uh, Reach, which is the school next to uh, Real Food Farms. Farms. Mm-hmm. So she actually was exposed to their program last year, and she was in um, their FFA. What does that stand for? The Future Farmers, Future of, Farmers America. of America. She was in that. And when she came to Douglas and her mom came to Douglas to meet her teachers, they asked Mr. Jennings, their environmental science teacher, uh, do you have an FFA? And he was like, no, sorry. And then throughout this year, we've been kind of taking these steps toward... Future Farmers of America. Right. And uh, and providing this student who, like, I didn't even know at first, opportunities she's been looking for all year. They're finally being presented <laughs> to her, which which makes me really excited for her especially because she was really into it and she was talking like, the food is fresh, it's not processed. Like she has an awareness of that already and an appreciation for it, and I'm hoping that will um, you know, infuse into all the other students as well. And before we run out of time here, I was, we, we touched on it briefly, we should have actually talked more about but that's okay, we can close out with this idea. I'm just curious about the importance of, for you all, that the Secretary of Agriculture, Velasic, Bill Sack. Bill Sack. Bill Sack. I'm into a pickle. So, his coming to Baltimore to Douglas uh, to be part of this. In my experience, making a connection with a federal agency uh, on one project uh, is a great way to continue to work with them. Um, and they have funding and resources. So I think it's huge. And I really appreciate you, Amanda, doing the, the legwork to get this grant, make this happen, bring them to town. Um, not yeah. that we haven't had conversations and connections with them before, but this is a tangible thing that they can come back and visit and stay involved with. So I think it's wonderful. Right. And like, um, I can't remember which one of you said earlier, bringing so much attention to agriculture in Baltimore. Like, right. it just sounds strange, but it's exciting. Yeah, I think just real quick, I'd say, you know, it's been great for us to have USDA validate urban agriculture as a legitimate part of the agricultural sector, mm-hmm. really, because um, there's a lot of you know, a lot of folks out there that think of urban agriculture as a sort of like a drop in the bucket and not something that's making a real meaningful contribution. You know, like we can't, maybe we can't feed our entire city off of what we're growing. But, you know, to me, that's really not the point. Uh, The point is, again, all of those other benefits of urban ag. So it it was really uh, gratifying to me and I think a lot of our farmers to to see that Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, endorsement and validation. Well, I mean, I think, and that was also very important, I think we said (laughs) Vilsack and Broderick Johnson, who heads the Obama's My Brother's Keeper program, both being here to to be part of this, I think is really important as well. So this has been great. Amanda Braody. Uh, it's good to have you here in the studio, science teacher at Frederick Douglass High School, who is spearheading the farm. Douglas, uh, and we'll be visiting them at Douglas and telling their story with the, with the young people there at Douglas very soon in the next couple of weeks. Abby Cock is with us, environmental planner at the Baltimore City Office of Sustainability, and Allison Boyd, director of the Farm Alliance of Baltimore. Thank the three of you so much for being here. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. You're listening to Soundbites and the Mark Steiner Show, produced out of your source for cool jazz and more. WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community here in Baltimore, and also broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSDL 90.7 FM. Taking a short break, but when we come back, we meet Chef Egg, a local chef who works with young people and with vets about cooking and their lives.
Welcome back. This is Mark Steiner, and you're listening to Sound Bites, our weekly look at food, agriculture, and our future here on The Mark Steiner Show. Produced out of your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, and broadcast on Delmarva Public Radio, WSDL 90.7 FM. We are about to have a conversation with Chef Egg. Yes, Egg. His real name is Chef Eric Berlin. He's a professional chef who works with all these centers and programs with youth and did this gig with the military and a bunch of other things we're going to talk about. And Chef, welcome. Good to have you on uh, Soundbites. Thanks a lot, Mark. I'm um, really happy to be here and talk about all the cool things that the culinary world has not only brought me, but you know the, the love that I can share with the community has been phenomenal. So where does the name Chef Egg come from? Oh, man. All you do is cook eggs? I get that all the time. And uh, there's a guy out there who just cooks eggs. And I'm not really a huge fan of eggs, to be honest with you. You don't need eggs, but you took the name. Yeah. So uh, when I was a kid, the, the older kids would throw me up in the air at the swimming pool. And I'd get in a little egg shape. So they just started calling me Egg. And I'm probably about eight, nine years old when this happened. So I'm Egg all over the neighborhood. And I got to middle school, and the older kids were like, hey, Egg. I got to high school. Hey, Egg. You, stay, you say you're Egg. Yeah, man. And I got to college, and I thought, I was like, hello, my name is Eric. And they're like, nah, your name's Egg. We know you. <laughs> and then uh, as I was creating uh, my first cooking show called Cooking with Egg, um, you know, you have a business, you need a name. It's like having a, a good band name. And uh, right. Chef Egg just stuck, and I've been doing that for about 15 years now. And what's amazing is that I work with lawyers, I work with the Navy SEALs, I've worked with doctors and, and children, you know, pre-K all the way through high school and college, and everybody loves the name Chef Egg. Everybody brings something to it. Um, all my friends love their little egg nicknames, you know, free-range, half-baked, hard-boiled. Uh, so Fried. Yeah, to- <laughs> oh, totally. Um, so it's something that's stuck, and I, th- I think it's something that's positive. And if you remember it, then that's the best thing possible for a for a good name. So, so you we were talking before we went on the air about how you how you even became a chef, why you ended up because you're actually a musician. Yeah, man. He's a musician, but I was going to say pretending to be a chef, but you are a <laughs> chef. But yeah. Um, so yeah, it really started out um, as a young kid. My mom, I have to say, was not the best cook. Um, so it was mine, <laughs> except on Sundays. She did pretty good. The roast beef and Yorkshire pudding, oh, lamb roast, tongue. I remember the giant tongue sitting in the middle of the table. If you prepare it properly, nothing yeah. wrong with some tongue. So yeah, mom on Sundays was great. Otherwise, it was all right. So I'm at home. I'm watching all you know, Yan Can Cook and Julia Child and the and the and the uh, what's that? Justin Smith. He was the uh, you know the the guy who threw his uh, wine, the Louisiana Chef on television. I'm watching all this stuff on PBS, and I was like, I want to be a chef. And this just came out of nowhere. And my parents were like, if you want to be a chef, and I was, uh, needless to say, a rambunctious child. So they either saw me going in one of two directions. And uh, at a really young age, they got me into cooking, and uh, they took me to the CIA up in New York for a tour when I was like Call 13. Institute of America, that yeah. would be, right. They took me to, uh, to the Baltimore Institute when I was here in Baltimore at like 12. And then when I was, I would say about uh, 14, I went to, to cook in restaurants and washing dishes and bussing tables and all that. And then when I was a senior in high school, they put me in culinary school at Anne Arundel Community College. And uh, I had to get some special you know, paperwork signed. And um, I was actually in culinary school my senior year of high school. And uh, it was a great experience. Uh, helped me definitely graduate on time. And um, you know, through that, you know, my parents said, you always have food in your belly and money in your pocket if you can cook or clean or do something in a restaurant. Right. And I really took that to heart. And when I got out of school, they said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cook for famous people. And they said, 
Good, yeah, right. luck. <laughs> Good luck with Good that. Luck. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I conquered that dream. I was the uh, the private chef or the owner of the Redskins. Now, how'd you end up doing that? Uh, I met some dudes at a networking event, and one guy just came up to me and said, hey, man, do you need a uh, you need a job? I was like, yeah, I would love a real job. That would be great. That pays, you know, money and health benefits and all that good stuff. About 25 years old at this point. And uh, he said, cool, meet me, uh, meet me at this place at this time. So I met him at this place at this time. And he's like, do you know who the Redskins are? And I was like, no, I, have, uh, I know who they are clearly, but I don't know anything about them. I'm not really a sports guy. I'm a music guy. Um, I think, you know, it'd be great to cook for Bono or something like that. But uh, to cook for the owner of the Redskins was a really neat opportunity um, kind of to, to see, you know, to see how the rich live and to see how everything works. <laughs> and uh, um, and I did that for a year. It was a great opportunity. I traveled with them. I, you know, I cooked for you know, famous people. saw a lot of cool people go in and out of the house. And um, after that, I started working for Whole Foods and doing culinary outreach. And that's where I, it kind of solidified in me that me going out and teaching people how to cook is, is my passion. It's my life's passion. It's something that's never going to leave me. Uh, as much as I you know, dream that someday I'll wake up and I'll know how to do computers or something like that. So you, you don't have really, there's nothing inside you that really wants to have a restaurant. You like what you Yeah. Well, there's two things about that. When you're in a restaurant, uh, you're getting money in and you're paying for forks and plates and all that kind of stuff. You're paying for the restaurant. Uh, and cooking the food, which is something that I love to do, it, it kind of goes by the wayside at some point if you are an owner right. chef. Um, yeah, it takes a lot of work and a lot of different skills. And I always said that I just want to teach people how to cook. And um, my wife also, her family is a restaurant family. And as we were dating and, and, and getting married, she said, you're never allowed to have a restaurant. And I said, that's a deal. Um, so working in a restaurant, I say, you know, probably at about 22, I said, I don't want to do that anymore. And, uh, you know, I saw what the business is like. I saw, you know, the highs and lows of it. And, I, you know, it kind of cemented in my brain, I want to teach people how to cook. And, again, if you can make a living from that, then that is two birds with one stone. But, you know, a ton of stuff that I do in the city is for free, and it's just for, for the love of it. Um, and we were talking about earlier, you know, you do this show because you love it, and it makes you feel great. And I teach people how to cook because when I go home and put my head down at night, I want to feel good about myself and the work that I did. I want to affect people in a positive way. And teaching people how to cook, you know, can instantly brighten their day, give them some great food in their belly, but also give them marketable skills mm -hmm. that will help them proceed in their life in a positive way. So you did this, the whole thing you did with Whole Foods and, mm -hmm. and the military around the world. Absolutely. Right? We were teaching. Yeah, so uh, the work with Whole Foods was <clears throat> truly, I mean, truly amazing. And it's, again, you, you, you tell people what you want to do and they laugh at you for a hot second until you actually go and do it. And I told the people at Whole Foods, I said, I want to go on a tour uh, with Armed Forces Entertainment. And they were like, yeah, okay, have some meetings. Go see how that works out. We'll see what Chef Egg <laughs> gets him, you know, get, what kind of trouble he gets into now. And I uh, had a couple meetings, and I uh, had to have a meeting with the uh, regional vice president of the whole region. You know, it's a big meeting right there. And uh, the dude's like, so what do you want to do, Chef Egg? I was like, well, they've invited me to go to Egypt for 10 days, and I'd like Whole Foods to sponsor it. And, uh, you know, we'll do the blog posts, and we'll, and we'll send it out in the media. And he was like, do you really want to do this? I was like, yeah, I totally want to do this. So that was about, uh, I'd say about three years ago we did that. It was me and Sarah Simmington from Blue Moon Cafe and a couple other chefs. 
we went to the uh, oh man, we went to the pyramids. We traveled to the Sinai, which is right between Israel and Saudi Arabia and Egypt. So it is a hot zone, uh, no doubt about that. And uh, we did a base in Sharm el Sheikh, which is the uh, the Egyptian Riviera, is right. what they call it. The tip of the Sinai. Yeah, yeah, pretty pretty wild stuff. And um, that has since quieted down. But during this whole time, every single month, I go to Walter Reed and I cook with the soldiers over there. And if you want to talk about you know putting your head down at night knowing you did something great for the day uh check out walter reed and see what's going on over there so what were you doing you were teaching what uh basically we're teaching culinary fundamentals and you know these guys you know they've been injured um they're getting back in their real lives they've got families you know or they've never been on their own the military is always taking care of them and when you talk about you know culinary skills you know what's your favorite thing to make or this and they're like oh well the military's cooked for me for 20 years and when i get home my wife cooks for me and I was like, but what do you cook? And to get these guys, you know, understanding knife skills and, and safety and sanitation in the kitchen and showing them how to pair um, ingredients so they can make healthy meals for themselves, their friends and their family, you know, again, the, the light switches on. And these guys are like, you know, I'm, I'm totally engrossed with cooking now. Um, the feedback that I get, a lot of times they have a lot of antisocial behavior because they're just really mad about what's going on. They've been in a hospital for two years and they come to Chef Egg's cooking class and they're smiling and they're you know, socializing with others and they're eating. You know, maybe they haven't eaten, you know, solid food in a week or something like that. Um, and the feedback we get from that is absolutely phenomenal and again you can go to sleep at night knowing you've done absolutely the best you can do you were talking about the, one of the things we heard that um, about you coming over here that you were doing this project with kids in baltimore city absolutely and teaching culinary arts and and one of the places you were doing it was over by liberty heights and garrison on the west side mm -hmm. a place called tootie's place yeah it's uh tootie's place is a uh, a facility for uh children in need uh neighborhood kids uh, but also kids that have been in the system and uh, we go and I bring the food and we make a big family meal with everybody. And it's again, it's giving that love to these kids uh, through culinary arts. And you see their eyes open up. You see their hearts open up. And it's absolutely amazing. I mean, you can you can notice it in one two hour session, uh, the change in behavior. Uh, the change um, in you know the, the types of foods that they eat uh, and how they treat each other as well. And uh, we do it all through food and culinary arts. We put knives in these kids' hands and they're like, do you trust me with this knife chef egg? I'm like, I trust you if you trust me. So you're building trust. You're, you're, you're building that positive energy between kids that maybe haven't been shown too much of that. And um, you know, again, the, the the outcome is absolutely phenomenal. Yesterday we did um, ages five through thirteen. We had thirteen kids in the room making potato gnocchi, and to see these kids, you know, you're making pasta out of potatoes, and they have no clue what's going on. Fresh marinara sauce with. So you start, they make these gnocchis from the from scratch. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, these are things I can't even teach adults how to do. And, um, you know, fresh marinara. We did a Parmesan chicken and roasted broccoli. And they're like, you can't put broccoli in the oven chef egg. I'm like, it's so good that way. It's so easy. Just pop it right in there. And, you know, you can't make pasta from potatoes. That's whack. And you're like, no, nah, this is how you do it. And, you know, everybody can afford a potato and a little bit of flour and a couple of eggs. And I tell them, I said, this is gourmet food right here. And you guys made it and are eating it. And you can do this every single day. Um, 
we work with the older kids, the kids that have been in the system, and that's truly, I think, where the challenges come in. Um, it's a challenge for these kids to do the activity and to behave and, and to understand the, the learning process. And I think from a, a teaching perspective, it's a challenge for me because I have to work on my patience. I've got to work on my, uh, my, my systems, how I'm teaching things, um, and understanding that these kids have never – they don't know how to turn an oven on, and they don't know – to wash their hands before. So you have to start at the ground level. Um, but you'd be surprised the, the, the outcomes from this and these beautiful meals that we've made. And not only do we make them for them, uh, the kids that are in the class, but I say we're making this meal for the big meeting tomorrow. There's a big activity at Tootie's Place tomorrow. And we're making this meal for them. And then the next day they serve that meal and they're like, I made this. So they have ownership over it. And I think it's the first time they've felt, you know, how great it can feel to be positive, you know, not only to yourself but to the others around you. Um, just really uh, phenomenal stuff going on over there. So you were, yeah, you were talking about the, the the differences you felt with the kids when they when you walked in to, to begin yeah. teaching and where it started, where it ended. Um, yeah, it's a again, it, teaching is a teaching is a fantastic art form. Let's call it an art form. Um, yeah, it is know, an art form. Uh, and. It takes a lot of practice and it takes a lot of you know, good things and bad things to happen to you as a teacher. And the one thing that you see, uh, you know, these kids have a lot of grudges. They hold a lot of pain. Uh, they hold a lot of fear as well. And you see it directly when you get in, you know, go wash your hands and they don't want to wash their hands. The, the defiance. And I know what defiance is. It's, it's, it's a cover. Um, and what these kids need to be shown is, is love and respect. And it's you know, nine times out of ten, you if you show that love and respect, you will get it back in return. So these defiant kids at 4 o'clock p.m. on a Thursday are completely loving to each other and the facility and, and, and the lesson uh, by 5.30. When their hands are in the dishes, they're doing the worst job in the kitchen and they're absolutely loving it. And it's a, I see the switch um, go right off in their head. They're like, oh, Chef Egg cares about us. He's making us fantastic food. He's giving us skills we can need to succeed in this world. And it has nothing to do with any of the negativity that I've been shown my whole life. Um, and you see it go, you know, you see it go right off. You see it happen in front of you. And again, it's, that makes me feel great as a teacher. Uh, it makes me do what I want. Um, it makes me want to teach more kids and make more of those types of connections. Because um, once you see that, and I'm sure you've seen it yourself, yeah. Um, that positive connection is made, and it, it, it's an addict. It's an addictive thing, I think. Absolutely. So, so these kids. I'm really interested. So, so what are these kids? So, I mean, it's one thing about. Uh, we did a program the other day talking with a friend who wrote a book, D. Watkins, and talking about how he wrote this really interesting passage in his book about the difference between him and this guy he called Tyler, who was white, and what he never saw. One of the things he wrote about was as a kid, never seeing uh, vegetables. Yeah. That maybe I had a, a box chicken, chicken in a box mm -hmm. with, with hot sauce yep. and some nihilators. Yep. And that was what I ate. And, you know, nobody had broccoli, nobody had vegetables. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. this is, it's also a, a, it's opening a different world as well. Mm -hmm. And what we do, you know, a, a culinary lesson can combine so many things. And that's what I really get mad about those little quick videos on Facebook that are, this is how you make a meal in 15 seconds. It's like, it, it doesn't take 15 seconds to do this. And when you, 
shorten that lesson to 15 seconds, you miss out on so much of what food brings to the community right. and brings to your life. So when these kids, we talk about, let you know, broccoli or potatoes, something really mundane, and I show them, you put a little olive oil on there, you put a little salt and pepper, maybe some fresh herbs, and they eat it, and they're like, what, what am I tasting? This is real flavor. This is, I've never tasted it. You know, it always happens. I've never tasted anything like this before. And it could be something as mundane as a broiled broccoli or or sautéed broccoli with a little bit of butter and a little salt and pepper and some herbs de Provence. And then we talk about herbs de Provence, which is something they've never seen before. And I, I put it in their hands and they crush it up and they smell it. And I'm like, this is what France smells like. And they're like, where's France? What are you talking about? France is in Europe and, and this is you know their culinary heritage. And it came to America. And when we talk about food here in America, I can bring it back to, to gumbo, which, you know, etouffee and things like that, things they've had. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, culinary arts as a as an art form uh, that goes back centuries. And we talk about the, the kitchen brigade and sauciers and poissonniers. And now these kids are talking French. They know what they know what French aromas are. They know how to apply this, uh, these saute techniques and these all these cool techniques. And it all started from talking about broccoli. And, you know, like pasta, we made uh, the gnocchi the other day. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you can't make pasta from potato chef egg. That's crazy. And I'm like, nah, this is how you do it. And, and this is the reason you do it. And we talked about, you know, um, you know, the poor people in France or the poor people in Italy uh, didn't have any money to buy the good flour to make, uh, to make pasta. And, but they had potatoes. So they took an egg from the chicken and they took some, some, some ground flour that they happened to have and they, uh, and they combined it with the potatoes and they made gnocchi out of it. And I was like, do you know how much this plate of gnocchi costs in a restaurant here in America? I was like, $20, $25. And they're like, but this only costs $2. I'm like, that's right, guys. <laughs> you know how to make a $25 plate for $2. And I was like... And that's a phenomenal skill to have. Um, to talk to these guys about just eating fresh foods and fresh vegetables, I think, is really enlightening. And have them taste them and, and to know where the food comes from and to know the, the history of culinary arts, um, you know, the switch goes off. And if I can get one of these guys cooking in the kitchen and off the streets and have their bellies full and money in their pocket, then, you know, my job's done. So you, you've, uh, it's interesting how you've taken that skill that you learned mm-hmm. over the years and I've turned it into something very different. I mean, not having to worry about the bills of a restaurant or working for a restaurateur you don't like. And, no, yeah. Right? Absolutely. Um, or cooking for people you don't like to cook for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, as much as you know, we all would love to be chilling on a, uh, on a deck somewhere sipping a mojito. Um, you know, doing this is fantastic, and all the extra dishes I have to do uh, is well worth it. I mean, just this week alone, you know, teaching the kids, catering a job, being on the radio. Um, I'm uh, promoting my television show. Uh, What's your television show? Uh, it's called the Chef Eggs Cooking Experience, where the kitchen comes to life. And you can find that at cookingwithegg.com. And what I did is I created a culinary experience which is unlike anything you'll see anywhere else. And there is a cast of 10 characters, and each character teaches you about the kitchen. Um, I said, why just look at me when you can learn from the world around you? 
So there's a, a really humorous and awesome group of characters. Uh, there's Sally Sanitation that teaches you about sanitation. Mac the Knife teaches you about knife skills. These um, are all the cartoon characters. You they're know. all cartoon characters, but what we did is Across we... Across racial spectrum. Oh, you know it. Uh, <laughs> because you learn from you learn from everybody. Right, 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 and right, and the, right, lessons, right. the lessons come from everywhere. And um, just to learn from one person is really, really boring. And you can see that on the Food Network and all these shows right now. You get bored of the host. But the, the Ovolution will be testified. Yeah, the Ovolution. 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 Like, like the revolution will be televised. Uh, this is the Ovolution. This is the egg revolution. Gotcha. And what it is, is I created a television show that the family can watch together. And I've gotten some great feedback. Chef Egg, we watched the show. The, the pilot episode is pizza. And then we have families in the kitchen cooking together. And that is absolutely phenomenal. It increases that family time. Um, when a, a parent can watch a television show with their child and not uh, want to go crazy because it's so, so horrible. So um, you got a little hip-hop thing going on here, too, don't we you? Have, we have everything. You do, I say. Oh, a little bit, yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I, you know, as a musician, I've done rock and roll and reggae and hip-hop and, and a little bit of everything, electronic dance music. And, um, you know... Bringing all that type of music and all those recipes and all the characters together to create something that's never been done before. I worked on that show for it's uh, about eight years, and we just finished the pilot episode. And uh, you know now it's time to sell it somewhere. But well, that's great uh, to watch something with your family and and, and your friends, uh, and then to be able to actually make that food together. I think it's a really really positive thing. Well, Chef Egg, this is great. Chef Egg, culinary presenter and educator. You're doing really good work. There's work you're doing with kids. I love to when they come out. And meet the kids and see what you're doing over on Chelsea Terrace. No doubt. Sounds great. I'd like to do that. Good to meet you, man. Pleasure's mine, Mark. Thanks. The Mark Steiner Show and Sound Bites are productions of the Center for Emerging Media and made possible in part by a grant from the Town Creek Foundation. Our senior producers are Stephanie Mavrones and Mark Gunry. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our engineer at Delmarva Public Radio is Christopher Rank. Our interns are Morgan Barber and Calvin Perry. Our theme music is by Wal Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org podcast The Mark Steiner Show and share it with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. You can also learn more about Soundbites and listen to past episodes at soundbitesradio.org. For your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, The Voice of the Community, and WSDL 90.7 FM, The Marvel Public Radio. I'm Mark Steiner. Take care.